0: Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braden. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Balls on Twitter. What do you do, you big Tennessee Homer? (laughs) hey buddy what's going on oh man we got a great show lined up here Shane one of my favorites Dave Bartu the CFB Matrix man is he entertaining he tells stories with numbers and a little backstory Shane I I don't want to reveal too much because we had a conversation off air he and I as soon as we got done with the the conversation and he said damn as soon as I heard you curse I opened up and I started letting the profanities fly. So I was like, oh, "Okay, I should have let him know right off the top that it's okay to curse on this show." But it's, you know, a great conversation with Dave as always.
1: Yeah, you can always tell when we got a new guest on. It takes a little while to warm up, you know. And like that's why I'm always afraid when we went we did media days that you know we went to a couple of radio shows. And the whole time I'm like, don't say a cuss word, don't say a cuss word. So I'm like, I'm all bottled up, like really thinking about what I want to say. So I don't say a cuss word online. You know, I don't want to cancel them. I don't know how that works, but, but yeah, we cancel. We, we, we definitely cussled this damn show. I can guarantee you. Probably more than we should. My mom lets me know that we go a little too far sometimes, Mike. (laughs) Cousin Shane is not paying any radio stations, FCC
0: violations. Mm -hmm. I can promise
1: you that. No, Howard Stern would be proud. <laughs> well, Shay, like I said, we're going to get into team previews next
0: week. We're going to start that. Very much looking forward to that. But we got again, like I said, we got Dave bar two terrific guests lined up. Yes. We got a, a a great hotline question as well, Shay. We actually got two. One one's not a questions. One's more of a comment here. So hit us up on that hotline at six one five nine six five five one five two and that's in the show notes if you want to hit us up at any time to to ask a question comment concern whatever you got for us but let's kick it over shane this first one's this was too good not to play (laughs) from cousin lyle up there in alaska he's a big razorback man he's got he's trying to give a helping hand on cousin shane there
2: cousin shane this is your cousin
1: lyle in alaska huge razorback fan Also, I'm a yoga teacher, so if you ever want to get down with some yoga, along with you walking to the SEC football season, give a brother a shout.
2: I can help you out with some fat guy yoga. Woo damn pig.
1: (laughs) All right, Shane. uh, Fat guy yoga. I mean, that's, that's what I do. You know what? You could come over here like Diamond Dallas Page and get me working out in the living room. <laughs> Buddy, I can barely tie my shoes without holding my breath. So it may be a little – I'm a little ways away from, from fat guy yoga, but I am sneaking up on it. All right, and then one other one, Shane. I love this from Cousin Shannon.
0: Want to know the best position groups per SEC team. Let's kick it over to Cousin Shannon.
2: Hey, Mike. Hey, Shane. Uh this is your cousin Shannon, uh and he's an Arkansas homer. And I was just had a question, kindly wondering uh what you, what position group of each team is the strongest and if you could rank them in the SEC, uh your top top three, top five teams on each position group. I'll talk with you boys
0: later. Bye bye. Uh, you know, inside baseball, I, I guess they call it. People don't care, but my internet is crazy. It's a connection. So I'm just going to run through these best position groups per team. Yeah. If you got anything to say, try to try to let me know. Wave your arms up and down and I can stop. Otherwise, I don't know if the internet will even – I don't even know if I'll recognize you, but let's just go over this, Shane. Best position group per SEC team. That's what we're going to do with uh, – thanks, thank you, Cousin Shannon, for the question – Alabama, Shane, I'm going running back with Jace McClellan, solid player, Roydale Williams, and then we're adding Justice Haynes, the freshman phenom. Uh, I mean, there is no wrong answer for Alabama, but I think given what they have at quarterback, some new pieces on the offensive line, I think they're going to be leaning on that ground game. Give me the running backs for Alabama.
1: This is a group that we've been talking about, you know, since spring – and i I think it's just gonna keep getting bigger and faster and stronger. That's this is a group that they're really gonna lean on. How close were you to including secondary here? I mean, that had to be up there as well, right?
0: Oh yeah, but I just waiting for those Tennessee too, fans, Shane, just, to say, Oh, <laughs> you can't put the secondary up there. I saw uh-huh. this one game. How one many time. hyatt videos do you need to see?
1: <laughs> Let's take a look at exhibit A. <laughs>
0: All right, Arkansas, Shane, same position group. I'm, I'm trying not to do the same ones repeatedly, but, hey, this is what I really think. Running back, Rocket Sanders, maybe the best in the, not only the SEC, the country, A.J. Green, Rashad DeBinion, Dominique Johnson. They signed another freshman they really like. Running back loaded with them Razorbacks this
1: year. Well, uh, again, the only argument there is is quarterback because, you know, I feel like we're even a little bit better there behind K.J. Jefferson, who I think is one of the best, if not the best quarterback in the SEC right now. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you could convince me on either group here. But, uh, yeah, I like like Rocket. All right, how about Auburn,
0: Shane? I'm going the secondary. Nehemiah Pritchett, Zion Puckett, Donovan Kaufman, Jalen Simpson, Keontae Scott, they return everybody of – any kind of uh starting experience, basically all the production from last season. They were not a great secondary, but they all back in a new system. Give me that experienced veteran group for them Auburn Tigers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Not a lot stuck around last season, so this is going to have to be a this is going to have to be a group that steps up big this season, and uh, that's what you want. You want more reps, and more reps make better players. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you here.
0: How about LSU, Shane? This was tough because a lot of great players on LSU, but maybe a little extra weight towards the quarterbacks. That's where I went, Shane. Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer, maybe. Not in my opinion, but a lot of people's opinion. Jaden Daniels, the best quarterback in the SEC. If he's not the best, he's 2-3, you know, at worst, 4. And Garrett Nussmeyer, probably the best backup. So give me the quarterbacks for LSU. Any issue with that?
1: Speaking of Tennessee, everybody's like, what about Nico? But I'm with you here, buddy. <laughs> I think best one-two quarterback right now has got to be an LSU. However you feel about Daniels, he's going to be at the top of just about everybody's list. And there's not there's a, there's a probably about eight programs in the SEC that would like to have their backup. So, yeah, yep. give me quarterback here.
0: Same with Ole Miss for me, Shane, and this is a little – it's tough to do because all these guys are obviously not going to play. But as of right now, as of recording, we got Jackson Dart, we got Spencer Sanders, who started four years at Oklahoma State under Mike Gundy, put up a a ton of numbers, and Will Howard, the young phenom, three deep here at quarterback. Oh, Lane, you know why Lane Kiffin is trolling everybody? Because he's feeling good about his quarterback room.
1: Yeah, well, rightfully so, but Mike. How can I have Dark Horse Jenkins without having him on my list here? So give me the running backs, brother. They obviously they lost Zach Evans, but they found replacements there. I think this is a this is a group that is deep, that deeper than you think, and mm-hmm. uh, definitely a group that Lane Kiffin is strongly going to be leaning on this season. So I like the running backs here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Combine it with Bentley. I knew you'd be a sucker for Jenkins. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's my
0: boy. (laughs) How about Mississippi State? I think it's an easy one, Shane. It's the linebackers for me. Boogie Watson Uh back. Jet Johnson back. Two of the top returning tacklers in the SEC. J.B. Purvis, throw him into the mix as well. Uh, Mississippi State doesn't use a lot of linebackers, but the two front-line guys they got, elite
1: of elite, Mississippi State. It's got to be the linebackers for me. Yeah, I like me some Will Rogers, but I'm going to go linebacker here as well, Mike. I think this is a great room, and I think this is going to be a showcase defense. This is, I mean, a little bit of a rebuild here, and a lot of that's going to have to do with these captains back there. So I like this one.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, A&M, this was another tough one, Shane, because there's a few loaded positions. I initially wrote down receivers, Shane, because I think they got the best yeah. trio of receivers in the entire SEC with Anaya Smith, Stewart, Moose Muhammad, throw in some of those tight ends too. Really good unit, but I can't go anywhere other than that D line. That's why Shane loves them Aggies. Vanell Diggs, <laughs> McKinley Jackson, Shamar Turner, Shamar Stewart, Walter Nolan, uh, uh, Overton, Lt. Overton. I mean, I I just the last guy I missed was a five star. Say so we're just throwing five stars onto this pile of all this talent that A and M's got. If they're going to do big things this year, it's going to be because this D-line dominates in the SEC.
1: Yeah, give me them big uglies up front. I I am with you here, Mike. If we could do a 1A, 1B on one of these teams, this is it, because I do think that wide receiver group is talented. I'm talking super talented, all going to be playing on Sundays. This kind of reminds me of the Old Miss a few years back, kind of reminds me of the Alabamas a couple years ago. They just got a lot of talent on that side of the ball, but – if, if Texas A&M is going to make some noise, it's with the defense up front, and damn, are they loaded. All right,
0: Florida Gators, Shane, give me them
1: running backs. We're only going to go as far
0: as these two studs yeah. can take us this year. Montrell Johnson, Trevor ETN, breakout season for him coming, I really do think. So Florida Gators, running backs, maybe the best combo in the country.
1: Yeah, yeah. A little bit of an unsung heroes last year, and, and I think that's something that, that Billy and them are going to lean hard on, and and rightfully so, because those those two guys are super talented. Can't wait to see what they do this year. Give me them running backs for the Florida Gators.
0: Now, Georgia's another almost impossible one, Shane, because <laughs> you, you could throw a Limp dart a on board. a board. <laughs> yeah, you're going to nail an elite position group. But I went with tight end, Shane, because of Brock Bowers, because of Oscar Delp, because our guy Rusty Mansell says keep your eye on the freshman Lo- Lawson Lucky. I mean, the best player in college football, in my opinion, is Brock Bowers. So I gotta go tight ends for them, Budo.
1: Mike, you're frozen and I had to take a picture of your face because it looked hilarious. <laughs> so uh, sorry, I didn't I didn't realize Mike was so poor and we'd go back to dial up here. <laughs> but um <laughs> but I, I think when you're talking, Georgia, like you said, you could just about pick any any group. Um but I also like the tight ends I think this when you mention tight ends next year how can you not mention Brock in that conversation of being the best in the country and 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 that's kind of what they become I don't want to call them tight end you or nothing like that but if they continue to put out talent like they're doing down there in Georgia I, I mean they really could make a case for it here at some point so give me tight ends as well Mike love it
0: how about Kentucky Shane I went receivers Dane Key Barry and Brown, electric player, Tavon Robinson, Dekel mm-hmm. Crowdis, Shamar Turner. This is, I think, the best group of receivers maybe in school history for them Wildcats.
1: Yeah, I'm with you here too because a lot of people don't, Outside of Lexington, aren't talking about it. You know, I saw a Barry, I saw a Brown uh, video go floating around the internet uh, a couple days ago and stuff like that. But no one's talking about the talent that they have there. And damn, they got a quarterback to can get them the rock. I think that's what makes this group even better. Nothing against what what Will was last year, but this is a new chapter for Kentucky, and I think it's going to start with a little pitch and catch and catch being from one of the best groups in Kentucky. So, do you like that? Do you like that (laughs) segue?
0: Let's go to to Mizzou, Shane's second favorite team this year. Defensive backs for me, Shane. Enos Rakestraw, Chris Abrams, Drain, Jalen Carlisle, Joseph Charlton, four elite players back for them, Tigers. They were a big part of why that defense was so good last year, and they're all
1: back. I love this defensive – backfield oh yeah the steel curtain son this is this defense (laughs) again showed glimpses of it last year but brother this this group right here this secondary especially is 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 the cream of the crop this is this is when we get to the end of the season we're going to be looking back saying okay let's rank the defenses from top to bottom Missouri's going to be toward the top because of this secondary total lockdown so I love this pick
0: and same position for me, Shane, for uh, South Carolina. Defensive backs, Marcellus Dial, mm-hmm. Nick D.K. DKQ Smith, both freshman phenoms last year, David Spaulding, O'Doyle Fortune. I think Missouri's secondary is going to be the, the unit that leads them on the defense next season. What are your thoughts?
1: And you know what I love about this defense, especially the secondary, is they will let you know. That's what I like. <laughs> Loud, vocal, just no no shit, no nonsense. Let's create an island. You're living on it defense. That's what South Carolina had last year, especially toward the end of this season. And these guys are bigger, badder, faster. Yeah, give me the secondary South Carolina. Tough group. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Tennessee, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Shane. I, I could have went in a few different directions, but I'm going running backs. I think Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson. That's a heck of a trio. And I think with a new quarterback, I think the running game is going to lead the way once again for for Heupel and company.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I could see that. But I love these receivers, brother. They're just so dynamic. They're so different. It's not. I mean, it, there's not just one form there. I mean, you got Squirrel on one side, you got Brew McCoy on the other. Uh, not to mention Keaton. I mean, they they they've got some young guys that are going to pop this season. If I'm mm. if I'm picking a group, especially in this hypo offense that are strong suit, give me them receivers, brother.
0: Mm. Well, that's the position group I went with Vanderbilt Shane. Maybe the most underrated duo: Will Shepherd, Jaden McGowan. And throw in Quincy Skinner gives AJ Swan some nice targets to work with this fall for the Vanderbilt Commodores. The offense is ahead of schedule compared to the defense. Give me them receivers for the Commodores.
1: Yeah, and I love Swan. I just wish there was a little more depth over there. So I'm going to go receivers as well. And I think kind of same argument that we made with Kentucky, I think mm-hmm. the step up of Swan is going to make these guys look even better in, in, in national media appearance. So give mm-hmm. it to me, baby. <laughs>
0: All right, brother. Well, uh, let's kick it over to our interview before my computer crashes here. Once again, Dave Bartu two outstanding you're gonna love this i mean he he tells it like it is and he don't care if there's any blowback so let's kick it over (laughs) to dave bartu all right we're so pleased to be joined once again by dave bartu you know him as the cfb matrix one of the best out there telling stories with numbers dave thank you so much for joining the program it's always a, a pleasure to talk to you
2: Dude, I and, and as usual, uh, I got lots of stories to tell, and uh, and in the SEC, there's there's never a shortage of, of not only fun stories, uh, but opinions to be able to look the other direction in. When you know how I I enjoy looking left when everybody's looking right.
0: Exactly, and that's the the reason I wanted to have you on, Dave, because most of us, myself included, we're all wrapped up in this eight verse nine. SEC scheduled debate we've been literally been having it for over a year it's ridiculous but here we are we're still having the discussion seems like most are in the nine boat you are saying hey let's pump the brakes on that why in your opinion did Greg Sankey and the SEC make the wise decision to stay at eight conference games for at least one more year
2: Oh, I I don't know. I'm not putting words in Greg's mouth, man. He will <laughs> kick my butt. Um, so, and, and it doesn't appear that Greg made the decision. It appears that uh, the athletic directors did, right? Uh, in, in in this regard, and my point of view comes from making the SEC look as strong as possible. That's one of my points of view. The other one, uh, and I and I think this is regardless uh of eight seven nine ten we have a college football that is in flux right now all right changes are happening with the playoffs now up until what 10 years ago or so the bowl system was the pinnacle of college football and that was the focus and then it's morphed into this everybody talk. nobody talks about bowls anymore right? It's all about four teams in the playoffs. So we know that going to 12, that's all that anybody's going to talk about. That is what college football has become. And so if I am uh, an SEC fan, or I am the, let's say I am the commissioner of the SEC, I want the SEC to look as good as possible come playoff time, right? Look as good as possible come playoff time and also during the regular season, have as many top 25 matchups as possible, okay? So when you look at the numbers, if you go to nine games, everybody goes to nine games, um, what is going to happen, all right? So the schedules are going to get tougher. Would you agree with that? This is going to create a tougher schedule for everybody from Vanderbilt all the way up to Alabama, Georgia, right? There's no doubt. Okay, now Alabama, Georgia, are they going to win more or less games if it goes from eight or nine? Probably not, right? So so what we're going to talk about here really doesn't apply to them because they're on the upper level of talent no matter who they play, okay? They could play a 12-game SEC schedule. They're probably going to be favored in every single football game that they play, except maybe against each other, and who knows what that's going to be, all right? But for everybody else, the schedule is going to get harder, all right, so uh, let's, uh, I'll, I'm going to use Missouri as an example because I believe there were five teams that uh, said they wanted to go to nine, right? Five programs. LSU, mm-hmm. top 10 recruiter. Texas A&M, top 10 recruiter. Georgia, top 10 recruiter. Uh, and who was, uh, who was the, who was number Florida. four? Florida, yeah. top 15 recruiter. Okay, so we got four top 15 recruiters and Missouri. Missouri is clearly a bottom-half recruiter in the SEC. So when I hear Eli Drinkowitz and the Missouri athletic director say, I want to go to nine, what they're telling me, okay, and keep in mind, a head coach and an athletic director are judged on one thing in fans' minds, right, and that is wins, right, wins and Mm -hmm. losses. So if I'm sitting in front of everybody going, I want to go from eight games in the toughest conference in college football, the conference that has more injuries per snap in college football. I want to go from eight to nine. I want to make it tougher. I want to have a shot at fewer wins. I want to have a lower shot at bowl eligibility. I want a lower shot at being a top 25 team. I want a harder path to get into the conference championship game. I want a harder path to get in the playoffs. That's what Missouri is telling me when I'm hearing Somebody like Eli say, I want to go to nine. You are under-talented in this conference. You are asking for less of everything. Absolutely less of everything. And you look at the SEC, it is one of the most consistent conferences in terms of wins and losses in all of college football. Last 10 years, almost 70%. Seven out of every 10 games is won, doesn't matter where it's played, is won by the better recruiter. Period. So when somebody like Missouri says I want to move up to a harder schedule, are you freaking nuts? You are judged by wins and losses, and you're telling me you want a chance at fewer wins. Now, for the fans, they're saying, hey, I want better games. Okay. I get that too, because in this day and age, you get instant gratification all the time. You wanna watch something? You wanna watch something you like on <laughs> Dude, the hound dogs just went nuts. I think there was a shotgun in the back forty or something like that. It's okay. (laughs) So, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? We 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 have everything's going to be tougher. All right, and going to nine games uh, again. I understand the programming from the standpoint of look, we get to control what we want. We all get. instant gratification every single day in our programming. Okay. If I want to go to YouTube and watch anything, I want to watch highlights of Maverick making his run with F14 F- versus the, 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 the Su 57s. I can watch it as many times as I want. Right. If I want to watch Russian oil painting, dude talking Russian, I can, wa- I can, I can make myself happy every second of the day with my programming, except what college football, So if everything else makes me happy all the time, I want my conference to make me happy all the time. I think it's a psychological thing is a big part of this. Um, But I don't think that fans want a tougher schedule with fewer wins. Now, for whatever reason, there's the fans out there my favorite is, oh, I want a tougher schedule with more wins. Look, Greg, and you want Greg Sankey to bake your cake and sing you happy birthday too, right? (laughs) That's not the way it works, right? Tougher schedule. Fewer wins for just about everybody. So if it goes to nine, 100% believe at least half the fan bases are going to be pissed. Why? Because their expectation has gone down about seven-tenths of a game a year. They go down seven-tenths and up seven-tenths in losses. Now, that doesn't seem like much, but there's a big difference between five and seven and six and six. There's a big difference between seven and five and being a top-25 team. Now, if you all are playing each other, we also know that top-25 games, that's really what drives everything. I mean, its is it cool watching Oklahoma, Texas? Yes, it is. Two big brands. But if they're both four and four, who really yeah. wants to watch that? Mm-mm. Right? Nobody's going to want to watch that. You know, what we want to watch is we want to watch, we want to watch an Iron Bowl that both teams are 11-0. and 0. Now, the odds of them both getting to 11-0 and 0 are much more against them if they're playing a tougher schedule, right? Mm-hmm. So realistically, what we want is more top 25 matchups. But if we go to nine games or the, then there's you got the idiots that want to go to 10, now all of a sudden you put a big wall around your whole conference and all you're doing is just, is just playing each other. That's the NFL. NFL has 32 teams; they all play each other. There's not a damn meaningful regular season game ever. There's no upsets. Nobody cares, right? It's it's a bunch of basically 500 teams. So, I don't, I really don't like going to 10, but I do believe a lot of people, your fans, SEC fans, support going to nine because they want better programming. But what they really want is better games, and they'd rather, they'd rather go play more good out of conference games than playing good in conference games. Cause if you play four non-conference games, what are the odds that you have more top 25 teams in the sec? It's a lot higher, right? Because you're not beating each other up. You're not right. causing losses within the conference. So, you know, to me the staying at eight is the best way to go because we don't know what's going to happen with the playoffs. I want to see what's going to happen in that environment before I make a change. But I also look at it as if I stay at eight with 16 teams, my my conference, the SEC, I'm going to have more top 25 teams. I'm going to have more teams that are bowl eligible. Come bowl season, I want 14, 15, 16 teams in the bowls if possible. Okay? I want I want half the top 25 to be SEC teams. If you go to nine or 10 games, guess what? Wins and losses still count. You're going to start knocking yourself out of the top 25. And then you get to the ultimate, which is the top 12 Look, if they stay at eight, I'll say this right now on your show. If they stay at eight conference games and playoffs go to 12, once in the next 10 years, we're going to have a final four of all SEC teams. Okay? You go to nine, those odds drop way off. I won't take that bet because you're going to cannibalize yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's going to be – you're going to have less top 25 games. Everybody's looking at it as top 25 teams now – they're all going to be top 25 teams with nine conference games. They're not because you're adding losses to the to, to the loss column, which is going to reduce that. So overall, not only because there's change happening right now, but I want the SEC to be the most powerful in the postseason. And to me, that's being eight games, four non-conference. I mean, if anything, the Pac-12, the Big 12, uh, the Big 10, drop down to eight, start playing each other. You know, we need to make an incentive to get these guys playing each other. That's the biggest problem right now is we don't have an incentive to have tough non-conference games.
0: Well, I'm glad you hit on the playoff day because I know you have cracked the code, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It, it's funny when they come out with this weekly Tuesday show and they try to <sighs> bullshit their way through why they did this and that and this and that. And and you put out the morning before, here's the rankings. And you, and you get it, you know, you nail about 20, 20 three of the of the rankings and, and minus one or two here or there. So you clearly have identified what they're looking at. Um assuming now I, I don't know that if we have this answer, but assuming they stay at the same formula for the twelve team model. Right. Have you yeah. have you run the numbers on um on, on how that would would affect the SCC going eight versus nine and how many they would potentially get into a twelve team field?
2: Oh, no, I I haven't. Now um, let, let's for argument's sake, let's assume they're going to run the same model forward, right? What, what they're doing to evaluate the top four and see those, let's just say for argument's sake, that's going to move forward, which makes sense because it's, it's working fine right now. Uh, and it takes into account really what's important, which is margin of victory, margin of loss uh, and quality teams you beat. That's essentially the playoff formula right now. So when you look at the SEC, how does it affect the SEC? Well, if that goes forward, one of the big things that that the SEC has had an advantage of in this new playoff is numbers, is eight conference games, four non-conference games. Because what it does is what's really important when you're grading teams for playoff position is how many top 25 teams did you beat? Now, they have to be top 25 at the end of the season, not Mm -hmm. when you played them, at the end of the season. So if you got eight and four versus nine and three, the numbers say your odds are you're going to have more top 25 teams to be on your resume. So staying at eight, it's a resume boost. You go to nine, you're hurting your playoff resume. The second thing is how many quality wins did you have? Now a quality win in the current playoff system is a team with seven or more wins at the end of the season. You start playing each other. Right, You go from 8 to 9, guess what? You have fewer quality wins within the conference. You go to 9 to 10, you have even fewer. If if you were at, let's say, all 12 games were playing the SEC, guess what? You're hardly going to have any quality wins because more than half the teams are going to be below 500. It's a numbers game. That's really what I'm trying to get at is it's a numbers game. So how it would work out, I'm not sure. But I do know that if you go to 9, You're going to have fewer top 25 teams over time. You are going to have fewer quality wins available over time. And that hurts your playoff chances. That's why, as pretending I'm the commissioner of the SEC, right, that's why I'm saying stay at eight because you are giving everybody, all 16 teams in your conference, you are giving an opportunity at more top 25 wins, more quality wins. Now, here's where scheduling is important for the Alabama, the Georgias, the LSUs, the Tennessees, and so forth that want to try to get in the playoffs. Now you have to figure out those other four games. How do you schedule good teams that are going to be a quality win, like an App State, like a Toledo, um, you know, and so forth? How do, you do, how do you create good quality wins to boost your resume? That's one of the things that we've worked on with a lot of programs is how do you schedule within the current playoff system. And we can use numbers to, you know, adjust odds on the strength of a schedule in terms of the ability of getting into the playoffs. So, you know, from, from, a, from the standpoint of how it would affect the SEC, I don't know directly what it would do. But by reducing the number of top 25 teams, by reducing the potential number of quality wins, you are hurting playoff resumes across the board. I mean, a lot of people are probably going, you know, ah, Dave, shit, Dave, it doesn't matter. George is getting in no matter what. Okay. Ah, Bama's getting in no matter what. Okay. But wouldn't it be nice if Ole Miss, South Carolina, Kentucky, Mississippi State, some of these other teams that aren't just automatically in your mind getting into the, t- you know, it, what if it comes down to, you could get a team in the 11th and 12th seed but because they played a bunch of conference games they don't have the resume now mm-hmm. right so i say why take the risk on hurting the resume stay at 8 split it up um, and, and go from there now you may have to adjust down the road some people would say hey well we get to make more money but when is a diminishing return going to kick in okay you you made everybody made an extra 5 million but how many have pissed off fans because they're losing more games now, right? right? And I know people are listening to this going, oh, our our team is going to lose more games. Dude, (laughs) somebody's losing more games. It's just the way it is. And and people listening to this say, well, that's not going to happen to us. Yeah, it probably will. It probably will. Over time, nine games will cost you playoff position versus eight. And if I'm the commissioner, I want maximum exposure during the postseason you know so that's what i'd be looking at from that standpoint
0: so just to be clear according to the uh the, the way they do the playoff uh now mm-hmm. it doesn't look at team a's played eight conference games team b's played nine conference games they, they don't oh get, shit no that don't, don't matter that, don't matter. that, no, that right? don't matter
2: no that don't matter no it don't matter no matter no matter you know all, it's, it's really easy get, get yourself a whiteboard you can mm-hmm. become a playoff genius Okay, with a simple whiteboard, all right? You go up next to every team, and all you got to do is put a check mark. Did you win the conference championship game? Boom, you get a point, okay? Did you beat a top 25 team? Boom, you get a point. Now, when you beat a top 25 team, here's here's why a conference championship game is so powerful, because you win a conference championship, one point, you've beaten a top 25 team in that game, two points, and they're a quality win. That's three. So you just start making marks championships quality wins top 25 wins and you do that across the board it doesn't matter if you play 12 games in conference or 12 games out of conference look at byu look BYU could get in the playoffs if they beat enough enough top 25 teams now where they get killed they don't get a conference championship game that's yeah. what killed the big 12 remember when uh, uh was it a tcu and in, in baylor yep. and they said oh they tied and everybody's like oh the tie killed them no not having the conference championship game killed them because everybody else above them played a game that weekend and gained basically three points. Mm -hmm. So those are super important. But the eight versus nine, no. People like to say, oh, strength of schedule matters. Bullshit. It matters. Strength of schedule means this much. Zero. There is zero correlation between strength of schedule and quality of the team. The only thing, strength of schedule, and the models out there are weak as hell, even even strength of schedule I make is weak as hell. What I make shouldn't be used. No strength of schedule should be used, but you've got to use one. But what they do is they use it only when everything else is equal. So if you and I are the 12 seed, right, and we both have the same number of quality wins, we both got the same margin of victory, and we've both got the same number of top 25 wins, and everything is equal, we got the same record, And you got a better strength of schedule than I do, then you're going to get in. But that's the only time it's going to be used. And I hate when it's used because there's so few non-conference games head-to-head against these guys. It's hard to create a really good model. But, man, for the SOS people, dude, you're never – I've run the numbers so many times. It is – using a SOS model to determine who's winning is as easy as just picking up a coin and flipping it.
0: (laughs) Well, Dave, I also wanted to ask you about two-point conversions because you're another one. Oh, (laughs) the ghost. Chasing the ghost.
2: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm Um, raised. You go for two. I mean, two. Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, geniuses. They go for two all the time. But according not geniuses to you, when you that's... go for
2: two, you're not a genius. You're yeah. not a genius. You're dumbass. <laughs> you're a total dumbass. You are chasing a ghost. You are trying to catch a unicorn fart under a rainbow in fairyland. It doesn't exist. Look, I'll give you a great example. Uh, 2022, and I could do this for every year going back, but let's just look at 2022, right? There are 738 games, 738, 738 games, FPS versus FPS. Okay. Um, number of one point endings. Okay? Uh, It was 20... So, basically, the numbers are one out of every 25 games last year ended in a one-point game. One out of 25. So, if you are... Well, you know, if if you're Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and you're going for two points, right, you are chasing a game that's going to happen once every 25 games. Okay? Now, understand, going for two is the expected value of going for two is less than kicking the extra point. Mm -hmm. Okay. The expected value of going for two is less than kicking the extra point. It's even worse if you're trailing. Okay. The odds of getting two consecutive two point conversions in a game is less than 15% if you're trailing. All right. So last year, 738 games, one out of 25 ended up in a one point game. Now there were only four, four games Out of 738 that were influenced directly by two-point conversions, four of them, those teams went one and three. Mm. One and three. The only win on a two-point conversion that I've given credit to was Utah over USC. And I know, oh my God, LSU fan just lost their shit, right?
0: I was trying to catch you on it. I was going going to catch you on it. You're
2: wrong. Because you didn't win that game on a two-point conversion. You know who lost that game on two failed two-point conversions? Before you had a – you should have never had a shot at that two-point conversion if Nick Saban doesn't go for two and fails twice. Game would have never gone into overtime. That's one of the three losses. Alabama, Nick Saban. So you're one and three chasing two-point conversions in 2022.
0: Well, that's why that's that, that data is so fascinating, because we all remember the final play, right? we forget how we got there.
2: Right. Now, was it cool that LSU had the opportunity to go for that? Oh, God, yeah. Right? I mean, it's just yeah, – and Utah against USC at home, basically the last play, going for two. Boom! That is exciting that the play is there. I'm not saying change it. If anybody thinks, oh, then we just don't need two-point conversions, no, nah, it makes – shit exciting. Don't get me wrong, right? And when you're in a situation, understand that when you're watching a game where a two-point conversion can win it like LSU or like Utah, that is so rare. So, so incredibly rare. It just, when you're behind and the team's going for two, game's already over. You're dead. You're not, it, it's not going to happen. And if it does, it is such a blessings from the college football gods. You have no idea how rare that is. Uh, to to be able to even witness something like that. But when you see a head coach going for two in a situation where the time left in the game and the number of drives they have left to try to win, it does not match up. You see somebody going for two in the first, second, third quarter, he is making a wrong decision. Not only does that lose more games than it wins, it just is such a non-factor. So um, that's my data. That's my take on it. I don't care who the head coach is. If he's going for two before time running out in the fourth quarter, it's just a bad decision. By the numbers, you are chasing a ghost that you're never going to catch. Mm.
0: Hey, Dave, do you got time, real quick, to just uh, run down a couple teams I wanted to ask you about, real quick, in the SEC? <laughs>
2: go, 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 for it. Go for it. I'll, I'll. Uh, well, we can, we can, we can fly through some stuff. Try to make some stuff up as we go along, too.
0: Yeah, one team I'm fascinated with is Mississippi State with the coaching turnover, uh, an offensive coordinator that has not called plays at Power Five, a defensive coordinator that's never done it, first year head coach. Yet fans are fired up. They're they're calling me an idiot for saying they're not going to win eight or nine games. Yeah, uh, who who said
2: who said State's <laughs> going to
0: win eight or nine games? I mean, all their fans are are fully on board the, the Zach Arnett train, now, and he may be a hell of a coach, but year one, that's a, that's a tough tough task
2: okay so is so number one mississippi state's a bottom half recruiter in the sec right Mm -hmm. um they get they have one of the worst three game runs in all of sec scheduling this year i think they go uh bama south carolina lsu
0: yeah yeah, Um, i got it yeah you're exactly right lsu south carolina alabama back to back to back
2: in week what three four five yes yeah. Who they piss off to get that. I mean, that's that's just the physicality index of that is brutal. They are going to be beat to shit on that. Right. I mean, absolutely mm-hmm. beat to shit. Um,
0: and then so, Dave, listen to this two weeks later, they start this run at Arkansas, at Auburn, Kentucky, at Texas A&M. So three or four on the oh. road against some of those toss-up games but three on yeah. the, four in the road after,
2: after getting the crap kicked out of them by lsu and Alabama's, uh, it, it's just it's a brutal schedule number one uh number two they're a bottom half recruiter so you know talent is is not there uh versus some of the upper teams okay uh you have entire coaching staff turnover you got a new oc you got a new dc um you got new culture you got new everything and I mean, seriously, anybody thinking eight, nine wins is abs. If they get there, holy shit, dude, coach of the year, SEC coach of the year, no question, right? Mm -hmm. Do you know how many games Dan Mullen and Mike Leach won combined at Mississippi State in their first year? Hmm. Nine. 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 So so Mississippi State fan that's going, dude, we're going to win nine games. Dan Mullen plus Mike Leach one nine games combined in their first year. Yeah. Come on, dude, give the guy a break. I mean, not, not only do you have all that, you have an iconic figure, Mike Leach dying in December during recruiting season. I mean, he literally couldn't pick the worst week to leave the program. Yeah. Oh man. I it just, why, why do the fans have to, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, if you want to give the guy a chance, hope for six and six, Try to get to a bowl, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, give it some, give it, give some time, have some real expectations. You know, maybe they'll get there, right? Maybe he is that guy. I love him. He does listen. He does think outside the box. He's working as hard as any head coach to take in information all over the place. I love what he's doing. But to put the pressure on Zach and the rest of the staff and the kids to try to get to eight to nine wins. Oh, man, not only are you setting them up for failure, you as a fan, you're setting yourself up for failure. The same way going to nine games. Oh, we're going to go to nine games. Our schedule's going to get tougher. We're going to win more football games. Boom. That's not the way the math works. And the same thing with Mississippi State, man. Don't get over your skis. I, as, as, as a Mississippi State fan, uh, I'll be happy with six and six. That'll be a great start going in the right direction. If after everything that's happened, they can get to six and six with that schedule. Good job, Zach.
0: Now, what about Arkansas? They they overachieved two years ago. Arguably underachieved last year. But you you could just say you know they won the close games two years ago. They lost them a year ago. Maybe that's just the difference here. Uh, any thoughts on Arkansas with a new defensive and, and offensive coordinators?
2: Oh uh, yeah. So you so you got total difference in coaching continuity there. Now uh, uh, you lost one of the best offensive coordinators in Bryles uh, Mm -hmm. in college football. Um, You bring in, so so you've taken a step down on offense. Defensively, you've taken a step down, right? I mean, we don't know where Williams is going to be. I mean, he's a rising star in our system, but he only has two years as a play caller. So we really don't know his downside, that always scares me—is—is is not knowing the downside of a guy. So I think you're taking a step back in both, both spots. Now overall, the staff is still very, very good. But again, are we talking about a bottom half recruiter in the SEC? Yes, we are. You know, and, and you know, looking at the schedule, I pulled it up while I was talking. Uh, so we got win, win, win right out of the gate, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we should be three and out, woo! And then we go LSU, A&M, Mississippi, Bama. <laughs> what? Well, how do you expect you're, you, if you if you I'm gonna win, win them all no. <laughs> you're gonna lose them all. You're gonna lose them all. You're gonna be underdogging all those football games, right? Mm. You know I mean you're three and oh, and now you're three and four and then, and then you then you got the matchup of of crazy fans who both think that their team should be nine and nine so you got Mississippi state and Arkansas. <laughs> you know at least for Arkansas that's at home. so let's give them four and four and and then they go to Florida. Uh, That's a 50-50 game right there. So now we're at four and a half wins. You get Auburn at home, which you're getting them late in the season, but they had probably the biggest overall staff upgrade in all of college football last year. So let's be nice and go 50-50. Now we're at five wins, FIU six, and Missouri at home, seven. Man, if you're thinking more than seven and five, and man, that that LSU, A&M, Bama, Ole Miss right there, same thing as Mississippi State. The physicality. Yeah, the back end is easy. Man, I'd flip-flop this thing if I could in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, all your game, all your 50-50 games, all your tough games, you know, your, your quote-unquote easier games come after this 20-day, this I mean, from September 23rd to October 14th, 20 days, you get LSU, A&M, Bama, and Ole Miss. God, that is a thankless-ass schedule right there. Mm-hmm. really is so i don't know what the i don't know what the vegas total is i bet you it's close to six and a half yeah. the, the over under is probably six and i'd say six and a half is a good number for arkansas for the vegas total
0: i believe that's exactly what it is dave so you you reference florida there you you're two under billy napier uh I, I, now i think they're one of the bottom tier in the east but uh, but some people think i'm wrong and and hell uh, for their sake i hope i am Do do you think florida Takes a, a year two jump under Napier.
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't know how big of a jump it's going to be. Uh, I, I, I really think it's going to be more of a three year process for mm-hmm. these guys. Um, you know, bo- bottom tier. I really I really see. Uh, I really see the East as three tiers. Right. You got Georgia and Tennessee, um, and then you have South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky. Um, And then I don't know where you want to put, you want to put Missouri down with Vanderbilt or Missouri up with those guys, you know?
0: Yeah, I I would put them up with them.
2: Okay. That's cool. Or hell, you can just make it two tiers. You can go, it's, it's the Tennessee, Georgia show and everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but Florida, I I would say don't underestimate them too much. Look, they got a, they got a new DC who's played called plays for two years, rising star, kind of like Arkansas. Right. So we don't know what we got with that guy, but we know he's been, been doing well, uh, and, he, and he turned the Southern Miss uh, numbers around really good in year two, all right? Um, got a new quarterback, you know, finally got rid of got rid of the last one, which uh, underperformed, you know, every year that he was there. So we, we don't have to worry about that hanging over our head. But you go through this, they're going to Utah, going to probably lose that football game, McNeese State. Uh, so now they're one-on-one. One. They get Tennessee at home, going to lose that. We're at one and two, Charlotte, two and two. Florida, Kentucky, there's your 50-50, right? You know, we don't know what we're going to get out of Kentucky. They lost their quarterback as well. Um, But they got a top 10 defensive coordinator. So we'll call that 50-50. So now we're at two and a half. Vanderbilt, everybody should beat Vanderbilt. The defense should still be horrific. Uh, So now we're at three and a half wins. At South Carolina, wrong place to play. We're still at three and a half wins. Georgia, Florida, three and a half wins. Arkansas at home. Um, You got it 50-50. There's four. LSU on the road, still at four. Missouri, five. And then Florida State at home, fifty-fifty. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking at five to six. So I bet you the biggest line is five and a half, six wins on that one right now.
0: Yeah, no, you're dead on again. What What about A&M? A and M? That's such a difficult team for me to get a read on. With uh... is
2: Jim? Is Jimbo still there?
0: <laughs> As of this recording, he is unfortunately. Okay,
2: okay. So Jimbo's still there? Is Jameis Winston the quarterback?
0: No, not this year.
2: Okay, okay. So we know that A is going to underperform their talent, right? That's pretty easy. Um, that's my that, that's my that's my dickhead way of simplifying it. I know, I know. But let's let's be realistic. Uh, when Jimbo was hired, our number said he was an average head coach. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, does he have a very good staff? He has a phenomenal football staff. All right. I mean, if if you take his other ten headsets and give That program, a lot of other head coaches, you're talking national championship. Look, they're a top-ten recruiter. They've been a top-ten recruiter for the last four years, right? Eight and four last year. That was one of the worst talent-to-result ratios we had in college football last year. Texas, A&M, and Oklahoma, those were two terrible teams last year uh, when it comes down to talent and expectations. Petrino, this, this is... A&M has got to be really interesting for people because you got Petrino and Petrino's number one goal is to become a head coach in the power five again. I don't care what anybody says. That is it. All right. So um, is he going to try to steal Jimbo Fisher's job? Is he there to replace Jimbo Fisher when Jimbo Fisher leaves? Or is he there to kick ass on offense and have an AD take a chance on him? Right. Mm -hmm. So, Either way, the two of those three scenarios, A&M comes out on top of that, right? So uh, I, th- I think that's probably one of the least talked about, most dynamic parts of the SEC this year is Bobby Petrino. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, he is volatile, but on the field, he's a football genius, right? Yeah. I, don- I don't think we'd argue everywhere he has been, he has an incredible impact on the field. Uh, He actually has an incredible impact off the field. It happens to be negative. Um, So, you know, but uh, but my numbers don't keep track of guys off the field. I just look at, you know, what they do on the field. And this guy is tremendous, both in play calling and as a head coach. So I think that with A&M, that might be one of the biggest wild cards because they have the talent. I don't think any of us would argue they have playoff talent uh, in College Station. They've had it there almost the entire time Jimbo's been there. So the question is, can Jimbo get the staff and the players culturally together uh, to make that run? I would uh, lean what I would always expect is him to head coach the players below their talent. Uh, but again, it's kind of like Florida. It's talented enough program where if you overlook it, it could really bite you in the ass on any given Saturday. All
0: right, last one, Dave. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but I boldly predicted LSU – as a next national champion of college football, how outlandish is that? Uh, according to your numbers,
2: mm, uh, it's 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 not blowing a 0. .8 driving, <laughs> um, or one point two or whatever. <laughs> but um, actually, so uh, it, it it would be a huge anomaly if that was to happen. Um, you have a defensive coordinator. Uh, grade. So number number one, what could make it happen? Do they have the talent level of past national champions? Yes. They have the talent level. Uh, they're a top 10 recruiter. They have the talent level of all 23 consecutive last national champions. Um, so we can check that box. How good did they do last year? They were not top 25 in total team scoring efficiency. No team in the last 23 years has been outside my top 25 in total team scoring efficiency and won the national title next year. Now they were close. They were 31. So they were really, really close, but they weren't that good last year. I think they might be a year away. And the, do they have the offensive coordinator grade? Yes. Dembrook is a national championship level OC um, three and a half stars or better. Defensive coordinator is not there. He hasn't proven it. Now they don't have an elite coordinator. they got an elite head coach. Brian Kelly is absolutely an elite head coach, but he does not have an elite OC. He does not have an elite DC. He has a three-star DC. He's got a four-star OC. And based on the last 23 national champions, that's not enough staffing to get there. I think LSU is going to fall short, and I think it's going to be on the defensive side. They're going to be a hell of a team. They're going to be a tough out. But when they lose, and don't make your prognostication come true, it'll be on the defensive side of the football.
0: Hmm. All right, Dave. Before you go, can you tell the audience where's the best place to find all your work?
2: Oh, dude, always. Go a, a couple of things. So, number one, follow me on Twitter at CFP Matrix. All right, that's one. Two, uh, I do have a text line. I am that much of a college football freaking junkie. 971-217-8419 You send me a text uh, that is civil. I will respond always at some point. Um, and uh, in the coming weeks. Keep an eye out for Matrix Analytical. That is my consulting company. We work for uh, programs all over college football. Our big thing, uh, we do have the biggest coaching staff search engine in the world. We have over 15,000 graded college football coaches in there. And we're going to roll out our website showcasing these guys this month. Uh, That'll be under Matrix Analytical. You can find that on Twitter as well. We're really excited about rolling that out too.
0: Oh man, I can't wait! So yeah, as soon as that's out, let us know. We'll we'll blast it out out there to everybody, uh, all our audience there for you.
2: Absolutely, I appreciate your time today, Mike. <laughs>
0: all right. Well, n- nonetheless, Shade, it was a great interview. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad you've got none of that. You got anything else, man? Before we hop off the line?
1: No, man. Uh, I, again, uh, appreciate uh, appreciate him coming on. With his fancy computer talk, you know that's something that obviously I can't. Here, bri- I am trying to keep my camera plugged up, freaking out. So I absolutely love this analysis, Mike. This is this is one of my favorite parts. Is it's kind of like listen to Rogan, you know, like sometimes you get a dummy that's funny, and then sometimes you get, you know, somebody that's a lot smarter. <laughs> no building shit. So uh, that's what this, that's what this show provides. We're like poor man Rogan. So, uh, but brother, I think this is fantastic. I appreciate all the callers calling in uh if you could mike could you give them that number one more time maybe by the end of the season i'll have it memorized (laughs) yeah yeah shane text me you know several times a week hey can you give me that number it's (laughs)
0: 615-965-5152 so i pretty much have it down pat shane will get it in, in about two years
1: I'll, I'll get it at some point. I'll have to put it up on the wall over here so I can it. But, but, no, absolutely. It's cool. It's great getting on here with you, Mike. And, um, you know, again, we're starting to break down these teams next week. So, so it, this is going to be one of the, my favorite times of the year because we're going to get an in-depth analysis of each and every program in the SEC. So be sure to tune in next week and the rest of this week because if we get some news, even though it's a little bit slow right now, we're going to be airing it out to you. No
0: doubt. Well, brother, thank you as always for joining me. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on
1: the next one. All right, see, guys, go balls. Just gonna do some fat, fat yoga. (laughs) Hey, buddy, this beer's for you. Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.